passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Several years ago, a youth pastor was uh, giving a talk to a bunch of high school students and college students and uh, young adults. And after the worship time of, of music, the man began his talk with a rose as his visual aid. And he holds this rose up and he begins to draw attention to it and tells uh, everyone about the natural beauty of this rose and how powerful of a scent it had and how beautifully it smelled and the delicate touch of the petals. And after he got done drawing attention to it, he actually threw it out into the audience and, and encouraged the people to look at it and to touch it and see how wonderful and marvelous this rose was and encouraged everyone to pass it around and take a look at it. And as he continued his talk, he actually began to share about the importance of sexual purity for Christians. Among the group of people who was there at this uh, little gathering on that evening was a woman who was in her mid-20s. Now, this woman had been invited by one of the college students and was not a Christian. This was actually her first time stepping into the church. She had a child out of wedlock. She was a single mother and was actually in the middle of having an affair with a married man at this time. And as this pastor continued to talk about the importance of sexual purity, she began to feel more and more uncomfortable and actually began to feel worse and worse about herself. And by the time that this man was about five to ten minutes into his talk, she began to feel like she was far too screwed up to be in the church, that God wouldn't want to have anything to do with her because of how screwed up she was. And at the end of this talk, the the youth pastor, he stands up there and he asks for the rose back. And the people give him this rose. And after it's been handled by hundreds of high school students and college students, it comes back to him. It's all damaged and bruised and broken. And he holds this rose up. And he says, this is what you are like if you are not sexually pure. And look at this rose. Who on earth would want this rose? It's garbage. It's trash. And that's what things are like if you're not sexually pure. When you hear those words, you begin to wonder, well, is this pastor right? Does this pastor write that there are some people who are too far gone for God, too far out of his reach, people who are trash, are, are crack addicts beyond the reach of God, are slumlords too far gone for God's grace? What about pimps, people who are uh, making a living by buying and selling little girls to exploit them for financial gain? Sometimes it might seem like these people are too far gone for God's grace. If we're honest with ourselves, honestly, we kind of wish that they were too far gone for God's grace because in some of these situations, we do wish that they would pay for all the horrors that they have wrought on other people in this lifetime. And that's exactly what Jonah wanted with the people of Nineveh. See, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, we've been working our way through the book of Jonah. And one of the things that we've seen as we continue to go back through this book is that this is a book about God's grace. It's all about those who are far from God receiving the grace of God because God is a gracious God for us. We saw this in Jonah chapter 1, that because God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and to share his word with the people of Nineveh, and Jonah runs the other way, that God pursues him. A large storm 
storm threatens the people that are on this ship, on this boat with, with Jonah, and God mercifully saves the crew. And these people that were saved were the scum of the earth. They didn't want to have anything to do with God, and yet God chose to save them anyway. And how did they respond? They responded to God in worship for the salvation that they had been given at that time. See, the same thing happened in Jonah chapter 2 with Jonah himself. Even though Jonah was far from God, Jonah refusing to follow God actually ends up in the water, surrounded by the storm. God saves him through a fish. It's inside of this fish that Jonah begins to praise God for all the things that have happened for him, all the things that God has done for him, the salvation that God has brought to him. And this morning we're going to continue our journey through the book of Jonah. And as we continue working our way through Jonah, we're going to continue to see this same theme. We're going to wrestle through this same question. Are some people too far gone for God's grace? If you have your Bible, I invite you to open up to Jonah chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. So please follow along as I read aloud Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. See, as we continue to follow this story about Jonah, we see that God commands him to go to Nineveh again. And this isn't the first time we saw God call Jonah to go to Nineveh. This is actually almost word for word the exact same thing that we see in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And what the narrator is doing, he's making it very clear that God called Jonah in Jonah chapter 1 to go to Nineveh. And Jonah disobeyed. And he's calling Jonah again here in Jonah chapter 3. And God's calling for Jonah's life is still there, that God wants someone to bring this message to the people of Nineveh, and God has chosen Jonah. It isn't Jonah's disobedience that has changed God's plan, and Jonah's disobedience hasn't changed God's plan for Jonah. See, God still wants to use him to bring his word to the people of Nineveh. And see, even though Jonah is unworthy to serve God, that he has really disqualified himself for service, he isn't acting like a prophet of God, God chooses to call him again anyway because we worship a good and gracious God. And one of the things we might be wondering is if God does the same thing in our lives. If we are disobedient to God and we actually run the other way from God and try to flee his presence, if we will be called again, if God will use us to reach other people again. And the question is, or the answer to that question is maybe. See, there are times where God will use us in spite of our disobedience to do the exact same thing that we were called to do originally. But this isn't a passage that's telling us about a a universal rule for how God works. It's just describing how God is working in this situation. Can God work in this same way in your situation? Yes, he can. But will God work in the same way? Not exactly. See, in some situation, God calls us to go do something, and if we disobey him, he's going to find someone else. He's going to find someone else to go and to serve him in that manner. We've lost our chance to be obedient in that situation, but we also worship a God of second chances. See, God is a God of second chances. He gives us new beginnings after we fall, after we disobey him, after we run away from him. 
as a part of his gracious character to actually use those who have disobeyed him in the past to serve him anyway. See, if you've disobeyed God, if you've run away from God in the past, the good news is he is still calling you to serve him. He might not necessarily be calling you to serve him in the same way as he was before, but God still wants to use you, still has a calling for you in your life. God uses dirty vessels, and that is very good news for me. It's very good news for us because God can use us in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our disobedience, and in spite of our failures. See, unlike Jonah chapter 1 verse 3 where Jonah actually runs the opposite direction of God, Jonah 3 3 is a very simple, short statement of Jonah's obedience. God calls him to go to Nineveh and so God gets what he wants and Jonah goes to Nineveh. The storm had taught Jonah dependence upon God. He now recognized that he wasn't the one who was in charge, but God was the one who was in charge. We see that Jonah is obedient. But what we don't know is what the motivation for Jonah's obedience is. You see, there are many different reasons why we can be obedient in our lives. Obviously, probably the most important or the best way to be obedient in our lives is, is through a sense of love. We, uh, we love whoever we are being obedient to. So if a, a child loves their parents and they want to be obedient to them, that's a, that's a good form of obedience because it really doesn't seem like obedience. It's doing what you want to do and what that person wants you to do. But there are other sources of obedience, uh, some that are less pure. You can be obedient to someone out of a sense of duty. You might not like them at all, might not have anything good to say about them at all, and yet you will obey them because that is what you do. You see this a lot in the church. You see this from a lot of Christians who say, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to follow God, even though I don't really want to, but that's what I'm going to do because that is what I am supposed to do. And they actually wear this obedience around like a badge of honor, that they are doing this because they are supposed to do, and they are a good Christian. You can serve others out of a sense of duty. You can also serve others and serve God out of a sense of fear. Uh, afraid of what will happen to us if we don't follow God, if we don't serve him, and so we obey. You see this again in the church. A lot of people will follow God, not because they desire to have a relationship with him, but actually because they're afraid of him, actually because they're afraid of what he's going to do to them, what will happen to them if they don't follow him, and so they obey. There are plenty of other different reasons for obedience. What we're going to see next week is that Jonah isn't motivated by love. Jonah is motivated by a sense of duty, by a fear of God. And it's an important thing for us to recognize this morning is that God uses him anyway. Jonah's motives weren't pure, but he was obedient. And God used him anyway. God was served by Jonah for the wrong reasons. And yet, God's message rung forth. And this is good news for us. It means that we don't have to be perfect in our lives. That we don't have to have all of our ducks in a row before God will be able to use us. Now, should we settle for the same type of obedience that we see here in Jonah, what we're going to talk about a little more next week? Of course not. 
We should continue to seek to grow in our, our love for God and our obedience out of that. As we saw the last couple of weeks, Jonah isn't the most admirable character in this book. But God uses him anyway, and God can use us anyway. See, as we continue to grow in our faith, God can use us. He can continue to use us as he works on us and refines us to become more and more like him. And that's what these first few verses are telling us, that God's grace gives Jonah a second chance. God's grace gives us a second chance too. God is in the business of using broken people. He uses people who are screwed up, who don't look like they'd be a good fit for the job. And in these situations, God's grace is magnified because his word goes forth through dirty vessels, through people who don't seem like they would be a good fit. This is God's grace giving Jonah a second chance. Let's continue reading Jonah 3, uh, picking up in verse 3 to see what happens here. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go to the city going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. As we continue this story, we see Jonah heads to Nineveh. And as he's there, we begin to see him proclaiming God's word. But let's talk a little bit about Nineveh. We talked about this a couple weeks ago as we began this story and looked at Nineveh and its context. But I think it's important for us to address this a little more and talk a little bit more about what Nineveh is like. If you remember from a couple weeks ago, we mentioned that Nineveh was one of the most important cities in the Assyrian Empire. Uh, It eventually became the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrian Empire was actually the most powerful nation in the world, conquered a number of other nations. It was known for its brutality, it was known for its strength, and it was also Israel's worst enemy. You see, Assyria was known for their worship of many different gods. And to Israel, uh, to people who followed the one true God, this was an abomination. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, we see God tell us through the prophet Isaiah that idols are just pieces of wood. They have no value. Uh, Someone will actually chop down a tree and they'll use part of the wood for firewood and they'll bow down and worship the other piece. And the people of Nineveh, the people of Assyria, had forsaken the one true God. The Assyrians were also a very aggressive nation. They sought to expand their borders. They weren't content just living in their own homeland. And they were actually quite successful at conquering other nations, about exerting their force throughout the Middle East and throughout the known world at that time. And they were also known for their cruelty. They were very brutal people in war. They weren't just aggressive. They were just plain cruel. See, they used fear and intimidation to spread Uh, their victories throughout the different nations. They would actually capture people and crucify them outside of the cities that they were sieging to strike fear into the hearts of the people that they were attacking. After they would conquer a nation, they would actually gather everyone up and they would either enslave them or they would capture them and deport them and move them hundreds of miles away from their homeland. And this is exactly what happens to the nation of Israel a few decades after the book of Jonah takes place. See, in the Bible, Assyria and Nineveh are condemned a number of different times. 
There are several uh, books of the prophets that actually talk about Assyria in a negative light. You can find this in, in the book of Isaiah and in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and, and Hosea, and, and Micah. And there are a couple other passages I just want to read to you that talk about the judgment that God has on the people of Assyria and of Nineveh. This is from Nahum uh, chapter 3, verse 18. It says, Your shepherds are asleep, O king of Assyria. Your nobles slumber. Your people are scattered on the mountains with none to gather them. Zephaniah 2, 13. It says, And he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. He will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry place like the desert. Zechariah 10.10, I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. The book of Jonah isn't the only place where God wrestles with and and deals with and, and really calls out the people of Assyria and Nineveh for their wickedness. And as I was studying Assyria and as I was studying Nineveh this past week, I began to wonder if there was a parallel today to this nation. And the more I thought about it, the more I I realized that a pretty good parallel is actually ISIS today. See, just like the Assyrian Empire, ISIS is brutal Just like the Assyrian Empire, they are focused on aggressive expansion. They're feared by those who are around them. They worship a false god. And just imagine, instead of ISIS being on the other side of the world as it is for us here in the United States, imagine ISIS being in your backyard. The fear of them constantly hovering over you. And this is what it was like for the people of Israel. For people like Jonah, with regards to the Assyrian Empire. See, the fact that God has words to say for Jonah to bring to the people of Nineveh is significant. Because it reminds us that God holds all people accountable. And all people are responsible to him for their actions. He's not just concerned with the actions of those who uh, claim to follow him. He's not just concerned with the actions of those who live in the United States or in uh, Christendom, if you will. Everyone on the face of the planet will answer to him for their actions. This means that the people in the UK village who have been gang raping 1,500 different women over the last decades will be held accountable for their actions. This means people like Donald Sterling who have extorted and uh, really abused hundreds of families over the past several decades will be held responsible for what they have done. Every single person, every single nation on the face of the planet will one day be held responsible for what they have done with their lives because God is the God of the universe. And as such... Every one of us is held responsible. You see, this is Jonah's message to the people of Nineveh, that God is aware of their wickedness and God is not pleased with it. It has reached his eyes, it has reached his ears, and they will be held responsible. And as the ruler of the entire universe, they have to answer to him for their actions. See, this isn't a pleasant announcement. This isn't something that the people of Assyria can look forward to. There's no good news mentioned in Jonah's proclamation. Jonah doesn't provide them with much hope. He just proclaims judgment upon them. And yet, surprisingly, the people of, of Assyria 
and Nineveh specifically repent. They respond to the judgment that is being poured out upon them with faith and with repentance. Now I want you to look at verse 5 here and see what it says. It says that they believed in God. When you look at the Old Testament, when it talks about believing in God, this is, isn't referring to just having a belief that there is a God that he exists. It isn't just saying that they believe that uh, what God is saying is true. In the Old Testament, when it talks about believing in God, it's really referring to a trust in him, having a faith in him. And for the purpose of our book, of, of the book of Jonah, it doesn't really matter whether this repentance, whether this faith of the people of Nineveh was a long-term kind of thing or not. In fact, most people looking at the history of Assyria think that this was probably just a short-term revival that took place in Nineveh because just a few decades later, we see that they are back to their wicked ways. But it doesn't really matter because what we see is that their faith is genuine. They respond with faith and repentance at this time. In the Old Testament, We have a number of different examples of physical realities referring or being uh, used by God to refer and represent future spiritual realities in the New Testament. Let me explain that and give you an example. In the uh, book of Joshua, the nations that live in Palestine were actually uh, killed quite extensively by the people of Israel as they entered into the promised land. And this was a form of God's wrath and God's judgment upon these people for their wickedness and for not following after him. This was a representation and it pointed to the future wrath that faces all of humanity who doesn't submit to God, who doesn't choose to follow God. Is what we see in the New Testament. In fact, the, the wrath of God, the judgment of God that these people experienced during the time of Joshua pales in comparison to what we see in the book of Revelation. And in the same way, that's what's happening here. The people of Nineveh repent. The people of Nineveh believe. And this is actual repentance. This is actual belief, as we're going to see here in a few moments. It might not have stuck around long, but it points us to, and it's representative of a future faith. And it's representative of a future repentance that's a part of the gospel call that we see in the New Testament. Now, many people wonder and wrestle through why the people of Nineveh actually believed. Why did they actually listen to Jonah's call? And they think that it's a bit far-fetched that this entire city will actually convert and actually repent of their wicked evil doing. And so they begin to look for other reasons why this could have happened, why they actually listened to Jonah's message. They point to the fact that there uh, were a lot of famines in that day and they were afraid of a famine. And so they repented and believed. They they point out that uh, earthquakes were a form of judgment in that day. And there were actually a number of earthquakes that were taking place in Nineveh and the surrounding area during that time. And so they, they repented to avoid these earthquakes. They point to the fact that there was actually a solar eclipse that took place during the same time. And this was seen by them as a form of impending doom and judgment. And so they say, well, maybe that's the reason why they listened to Jonah's words. They, they talk about the fact that Assyria was actually kind of weak at this time and that there were uh, enemies at the gate ready to attack them. And all of these things could be true. God could have used all of these different ways uh, to bring them to repentance. But it misses one key thing. 
And that key thing is that God was at work in their hearts. We have to recognize and realize that God was at work in their hearts, and that's really what brought about this repentance and what brought about this faith. It wasn't a solar eclipse, even though God could have used that. It wasn't a famine by itself, although God could have used that. It was God at work in their hearts. And because God was at work in their hearts, they were able to listen to Jonah's message and respond with faith and repentance. And because of this message, they respond with genuine faith and genuine repentance. And we see this uh, in the end of this passage, talking about the fact that they responded with uh, fasting and through wearing sackcloths. And these two forms, uh, or these two phrases might be a little foreign to us today, especially the concept of wearing sackcloths. But both of these refer to acts of sorrow. The people of Nineveh were sorrowful for their actions. And the narrator mentions them here to show that these things, that their faith, that their trust in God, their repentance, wasn't just something that they said with their lips, but it was something that they were showing with their lives. Now, what does that have to do with us today? How does that apply to our context today? Well, I think it's this, that it reminds us that God's word always forces us to wrestle with eternal matters. God's word always forces us to wrestle with eternal matters. People today are pretty similar to the people of Nineveh. We're always consumed with the immediate, with the day-to-day. And yet God's word forces us to focus on things that aren't day-to-day, but are on a grander scale. With so many distractions around us, it's easier for us to lose sight of the important things, things of eternal weight and of significance. Because we're so focused on our jobs and on our uh, children's activities and on our 401ks that we can lose sight of what God is doing and what God is calling us to believe. Things that have eternal significance in our lives. See, it's easy for us to neglect them. It's easy for us to neglect these things if we're not in God's word. But when we open God's word, and when we hear God's word proclaimed, it forces us to address these things. We can't just ignore them without ignoring the entirety of God's word because it's found throughout. People can choose to ignore it, but to do so means they have to ignore the entire Bible. Every time you hear God's word or you read God's word, you are forced to wrestle with things of eternal significance. Recently, a theologian looked at all of the passages in the Bible that talk about people coming to God, uh, talk about people coming to faith and to repentance, and uh, really categorize all of these different things. And he said that one of the reasons why people come to God is uh, for a desire to get rid of their guilt and of their shame. He said another reason why people come to God is out of a desire to be loved. And still another reason is because people desire to, to have, be satisfied uh, with some longings that have never been satisfied. And among these and among a few others, he lists another one, and that is this, that some people come to God because of a fear of death and a fear of judgment. And that's what we see happening here in the book of Jonah. You see, as unpopular as it may sound today in our culture, a fear of death and a fear of judgment and facing God's wrath 
can lead to salvation, can lead to repentance. There's nothing unholy about coming to God because you're afraid of the righteous wrath of God, because you're afraid of God's judgment. In fact, it's just plain smart. What is unhealthy is if your relationship with God stays there, if it stays in the, in the focus on faith. That's not what we see with the people of Nineveh. You see, God's word forces us to wrestle with and to deal with the important things, to answer these questions that we shouldn't ignore. Let's keep reading, picking up in verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone who turns from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may relent, may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. In these verses, the narrator continues to describe the repentance that we're seeing take place in Nineveh, this miraculous repentance that, that is comprehensive. It's not just a few people here and there, but it's everyone from the king himself all the way down to the beggar who lives on the street who has responded in faith and repentance. And these verses that talk about the king are really important because they contrast the king and his response with Jonah and his response to the calling of God. What is it that God says to Jonah at the very beginning of Jonah chapter 1? He says, arise and go to Nineveh. What is it that God uh, says to Jonah at the beginning of Jonah chapter 3? He says, arise and go to Nineveh. Of course, as we've seen, as we've been looking through all of uh, these two first chapters, we've seen that it takes a near-death experience for Jonah to actually follow God's command, to actually rise and go to Nineveh. But with the king, the king hears about this coming judgment, the judgment that is facing his people, and he rises immediately in repentance, and he puts sackcloth on as a, as a sign of repentance and of, of sorrow for the things that he and his people have done. And just like the sailors that we saw in Jonah chapter 1, he is a better example And the people of Nineveh are a better example of how to follow God than Jonah is. See, not only did they begin to put on sackcloth, and not only did they begin to fast, but they began to call out to God mightily. I think the word mightily here is probably the most powerful word in this entire book. See, in Jonah chapter 1, Jonah is asked and pleaded with from a pagan sea captain to pray to God for salvation for all of them, and Jonah refuses. And yet in Jonah chapter 3, an entire pagan city cries out to God mightily, cries out to God fervently without being asked to do so. It shows us how we also should come before God. Now, the the ESV translates this mightily, and I think that's a little wooden. I like the way the NIV translates it, saying urgently. And what the king calls for, 
and what the people of Nineveh do, praying urgently and fervently, seeking after God's face for salvation. And isn't that a great word to describe how all of our prayers should be? Shouldn't all of our prayers be urgent? Shouldn't all of them be fervent? Shouldn't all of them be seeking after God and his face? Let's follow the example of the people of Nineveh. Let's make every prayer that we bring before God urgent. Let's follow the example of not Jonah, but the people of Nineveh. You see, the people of Nineveh did this without knowing whether God was going to relent or not. They didn't know if they continued to uh, repent, whether God was going to uh, delay his judgment upon them. When Jonah brings this message, he doesn't say, uh, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed unless you repent. He just says, yet 40 days until, until Nineveh will be destroyed. And the fact that they respond with repentance and faith shows the urgency and the desperation of the people of Nineveh. They were hoping against hope that God would relent. And this gets us to another important truth that we can pull from this text, and that is this, that salvation is not a right. Salvation is not a right. In the Declaration of Independence, our our founding fathers described unalienable rights. He said, every human has certain rights for the sake of them just being human. It doesn't matter where they're found, they have certain rights that are intrinsic to being human. But one of these unalienable rights is not salvation. Salvation is not a right, and the people of Nineveh understood that. The people of, under, of Nineveh understood that they were worthy of condemnation before God because of their actions, because of their wickedness. And yet most people today refuse to admit this. Most people today refuse to think of their own problem with sin as something more than just one or two evil actions. And uh, refuse to admit that it's something that is deep within them, a part of their identity, deep to their core. And for us, nothing is going to happen until we reach the same point as the people of Nineveh. Nothing is going to happen until we realize, just like the people of Nineveh, that we are wicked before God, that we stand with salvation not as a right, but as an undeserved gift that God gives to his people. See, let's cry out with urgency. Let's cry out with fervency like the people of Nineveh and seek God's face. Let's finish Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. See, just as with the sailors, God saves the people of Nineveh, from his wrath. God saves the people of Nineveh from his wrath. And it's easy for us to misunderstand these verses, to look at these verses and to assume that this passage is telling us that the key to salvation is to first clean ourselves up 
and to prove that we're serious about this whole Christianity thing. And after we've done that, after we've worked really hard for a while, then God's going to look down and he's going to say, okay, they were being serious. They were actually repenting. They were actually showing that they are faithful. And so I'm going to withhold judgment. I'm going to give you salvation. But that's not the gospel. The gospel tells us that the gift of salvation is a gift that is undeserved. The faith of the people of Nineveh was on display through their actions. You see, you can't have true faith without repentance. And you can't have true repentance without faith. And that's what this passage is telling us here. It's telling us the gospel, that God will save those who call out to him. Salvation is... It's the power of God. And this grace of God extends to all. God's grace extends to all. Do you think you're too far gone for grace? Do you think that you are past the point where God will be able to offer you grace? That there is no hope for you? I'm going to be honest with you. You're right There is no hope for you to save yourself. You are too far gone to save yourself. You are under the judgment of God, but no one is too far gone for God's grace. Look at the people of Nineveh. We worship a good and gracious God who has compassion on humanity. And because of Nineveh, when we look at Nineveh, we see who God is, that he is a gracious, compassionate, merciful God, and that we will never be too far gone from his grace. Whatever you have done, the people of Nineveh have probably done something worse. And if God could show them mercy, and God can show you mercy too. And so I encourage you, just like the people of Nineveh, to believe to place your faith, to place your trust in God and believe in him. Because God's grace extends to all. Of course, on the other hand, maybe some of us are like Jonah this morning. You see, Jonah, remember, he hated the Assyrians. And because of that hatred, he actually hated God's mercy. And he didn't want the people of Nineveh to be saved. And maybe this morning you find yourself a little bit like that. Maybe you think that there are people that are out there in the world that are beyond saving. That God can't reach because they're just too far gone. Take a moment and ask yourself, who do you think Who I think is the furthest from God? Is it militant atheists who are intent on squashing out the idea of God? Is it pretentious religious people filled with holier-than-thou sentiments? Is it ISIS? Is it sex workers? Whoever it is that you think is furthest from God, God can reach them. That's what the faith and the repentance of the people of Nineveh shows us that God can reach them. And that's what this text is all about. It's crying out to us from each and every verse that no one is too far gone for God. No one is too far gone for God. If you feel like you're too far gone, then that's a lie. Believe, just like the people of Nineveh. If you feel like you don't really need God's grace, 
that's a lie too. Just look at Jonah. In fact, that second lie is more dangerous than the first lie. I I like uh, one quote by C.S. Lewis, and and this isn't the exact quote, but he basically says something like this. He says, a prostitute is far more likely to come to faith in Jesus because a prostitute is never going to think that they are moral enough to make it on their own. It's far more dangerous to be in Jonah's situation than it is to be in the place of the people of Nineveh. To think that we are too good for God's grace rather than to be like the people of Nineveh who are beyond God's grace if it were possible. And if you fit into either of those categories, if you find yourself like the people of Nineveh or like Jonah who is running from God, even though he's close to God, then I ask you and I beg you to cry out to God fervently just like the people of Nineveh because he answers and he will save those who cry out to him because no one is too far gone for God. There might be some of us here this morning who are wrestling through this. I encourage you to cry out to God. Of course, there are others of us here who recognize that we are in desperate need of God's grace. And not only do we recognize that we are in desperate need of God's grace like the people of of Nineveh, we cling to that grace as our only hope each and every day. And and what should we do? What's the application point for for people like that? Well, this morning I want you to, to grab a pen and I want you to write something down. I want you to write down the name of one person or one group of people that you think are too far gone for God, are too far beyond God's grace that they can't be reached. And there's no need to be super spiritual here. Even if we cognitively recognize God's grace can reach everyone, that can save everyone, we may think that God will need a little bit extra effort to reach the people that are over there. So I encourage you to write down the name of one person or one group of people who if they came to faith in Jesus, then you would just be absolutely floored. And here's what we're going to do with the name or the group of people that you wrote down. I'm going to encourage you this coming week to pray fervently for them. Just like the people of Nineveh prayed fervently for God to save them. We're going to do the same thing, asking that God would save them. Some of you might want to take the time to fast, to give up a meal or or two meals or even a a day worth of meals and to devote that time to interceding and praying fervently to God to save the people that you have written down on your sheet of paper. Whatever the case is, cry out to God fervently, urgently, begging God to reach them because we can remember Nineveh. Nineveh. And we can remember that God is able to save anyone on the face of the planet, including the people that we wrote down on our piece of paper, even those who seem the most unlikely. When we started this morning, we started with the story of a youth pastor. 
and a young woman and uh, the story of, of this rose and, and how this woman began to feel more and more condemned with, the, with each passing breath of the man and, and how the man holds up the rose and says, who wants this rose, this trash? Jesus wants the rose. Jesus wants the whore. Jesus wants the pimp. Jesus wants the terrorist who's a part of ISIS. Jesus wants the person who thinks that they're so far gone, so screwed up that there is no hope for them. Jesus wants the rose, and Jesus wants you, and Jesus wants me. And that is truly good news because no one is too far gone for God. Let's pray. Lord, we stand amazed at the grace that you offer us through Jesus. God, we are truly blown away by the gift that you offer to us, not because of anything that we have done, but because of who you are. And we confess Oftentimes, we try to make it on our own, that we try to restore the relationship between us and you on our own. And Father, we pray that you would help us to trust solely in you, to trust solely that you alone are able to save and that you can save everyone. And so, Father, we lift up the names of the people that we have written down this morning and we ask for your gracious hand to be in their lives. Father, that in the lives of each and every one of these people, that there would be a little Nineveh occurring. People coming to faith in you. People who are far beyond what we can imagine. Coming to worship you. And Father, if, there are anyone, if there's anyone here this morning who, who thinks that they are too far gone, God, I pray that you would help them to see that your grace is sufficient, that you can and you will save those who cry out to you, no matter how bad or how screwed up their past is. And God, we worship you because of that. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.